We're going to be returning to the, the short uh, um, kind of series that we were doing concerning, you know, a, a life that God rewards and talking about how what we do here today is going to affect our eternity. And before we get there, let's, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you uh, just for your presence here. Thank you for the worship that we just experienced. And Father, how it just allows us to release what is bottled up inside of us and our love and our thankfulness to you. And I pray that you will bless those who served us today in leading that worship. And Father, now we do turn our, ourselves to your word and help us to, to uh, lean in, Father, and listen with our hearts and not just with our ears. In thy name we pray. Amen. I want to start this morning with a verse I, I refer to quite often. It's a very hopeful verse and certainly one that's great to start the New Year's with. Um, Paul, Paul wrote this in Corinthians, and he's speaking about heaven. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, we'll go ahead and put that up for you. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now, right now, I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as also I have been fully known. Well, for a moment, just, just let that verse sink in for a moment here. What God is saying here. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Something's going to be different. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as also I have been fully known. Now we often, when we quote this verse, we kind of isolate this verse. But do you know this verse comes as an expression of what God's love is? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, in the beginning of it, we refer it to as the love chapter. You know, it talks about love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking. It goes on and on, talking about what love is. And this comes at the very end of that. God's love, it yearns for that moment when all these things that we've learned in our faith, all the things of, you know, that, the, the patience and the persevering and the non-self-seeking, the selflessness, the love and the forgiveness, the, the hope, all of those things are fully revealed to us. And for the first time, we fully understand what it means to be a child of God. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. I will fully understand it. I mean, think about the, the closest that you have ever felt to God, a time in your life. You know, the closest you've ever felt to heaven, uh, some spiritual high. You know, maybe you think back to your salvation and when you accepted Christ or a special prayer time you had or, or worship. You know, certainly this worship time that we had just before uh, I got up here, you know, it was a time that just opens our hearts up. Christmas Eve, uh, when we sang at the very end of that service after that, that tremendous service of reflection and we, and we got to the end and we, you know, sang, Oh, Holy Night. You know, I mean, man, that was powerful. Man, my heart was so lifted. You know, just think of all of those wonderful moments. At that moment, the greatest that we have ever known on this side of eternity, it is only a shadow. It's only a reflection of the reality and the experience that we are going to have when we get to heaven if we are God's children. Now, I've shared this with you before, but I remember back in the mid-90s, 
uh, when Promise Keepers, the men's ministry, was, was going so strong. And I remember walking into my first Promise Keepers event. We went to the RCA Dome in St. Louis. 65,000 men came to the RCA Dome, and they were meeting, and I believe there were 11 different sites that were meeting all over the nation, similar numbers all over the nation. And just like it was yesterday, I can remember climbing the stairs to the second level where we were going to sit. And there were a lot of people milling in the hallway, so there's a lot of excitement going on, but, but there was nothing like when I climbed those stairs and I walked out into the dome. And suddenly, the whole RCA dome was in full view, packed with seekers of God. You know, in full view, 65,000. Man, it, it was unbelievable. And, and I, I got to say, I stood there, and I, man, I got choked up. I mean, just to be able to see a sight like that, I got choked up. And, and then, folks, the next night, I got pumped up about God and about what he was going to do in my heart and having all these men together. I mean, how, how many of you have been, ever been to a Promise Keepers? Guys, God, I got, you know, okay, we got a splattering about, you know, 10, 15 of you. How many ladies here, you have been to like a woman of faith or a big woman's conference? Yeah, a, a lot of, most, most of the ladies have been. You've been there. Remember, remember when this, you, you sang together, however many thousands there were? Remember the humbling of yourself and praying and the worship? You know, how it felt you know, at, at, at that moment, think about that. Remember worship so intense that you felt you wanted to do something for God. I mean, you just wanted to get out of your skin and, and, and go serve God. There was a yearning, no an aching to do something, to be with God. You know, you take that feeling, that moment, and you multiply it a thousandfold, and that's going to be what it's going to be like when we see Jesus. When we see our Savior and we join in that heavenly choir of holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty and we sing praises unto him, it's going to be like something we have never even come close to experiencing on this side of eternity. And so, so if you can grasp that kind of a moment and, and the yearning and the desperation you know, that you've ever had in your heart to honor Jesus you're going to understand the importance of what we've been looking at in this short series, the, 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 the three messages we've had so far. How what we do with our faith, how what we do with our salvation today is going to affect us when we get into heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says these verses. It says, each man's work, speaking about that time when we stand before God, talks about a foundation that we've all been given in Jesus Christ. And then it talks about building on that foundation we've been given. And then it goes on in verse 13. It says, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. It talks there about suffering loss. Suffering loss, what, what could have been ours for Jesus Christ is not going to be present. It's not going to be in there in eternity if we haven't built correctly on that foundation that Christ has given us. Well, that moment at Promise Keepers, I wanted to give God more 
I wanted to be more. I wanted to do more for Jesus. Well, that moment when we stand, that first moment when we stand before Jesus Christ, we don't want to be standing there with less than I could have had to come before him and to worship him. And right now, tomorrow, this afternoon, this week, if the Lord tarries this whole year, everything that we do is going to help determine what that moment is going to be like for us and those moments in all eternity. So I want to I take a, a, a different look this morning than the angle that we've been looking at on how what we do today affecting what's going to happen in our eternity. Uh, we've talked about how to serve God We've talked about the relationship we need to have with him to make sure our motives are right as we're serving God. You know, not for man's praise, we don't do it. But realizing that God rewards us. Sometimes he rewards us now, but most times our reward is in heaven. It's much later. You know, it's called the laying up treasures in heaven, you know, in advance for us. And God wants us actively involved in this process of laying up treasures in heaven. It's something that we are to be proactive in. Now, we've called this rewards for what we do. We are rewarded for what we do. This morning, I don't want to focus on the rewards for what we do, but I want to focus on the responsibility that we have for what we do, the responsibility that we have for what God has given us. And to do that, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 19, and hopefully you're already there. But turn to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read... Um, one of the parables that Christ gave, and it's a little bit lengthy, um, but if you can, I invite you to stand together with me as we read God's word and our text for this morning. Let me read this for you. It says, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that those slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in very little things, you are to, be a, you to, you are to have authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man, and you take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you do not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know that I, you, did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money into the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. 
But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Maybe see that. So Jesus tells this this parable about the slaves, the servants, you know, the stewards, for an important reason, a very specific reason. You see, he would soon be going away. It says he was nearing Jerusalem, meaning he's coming to the time of the cross. He's coming to the time of his burial, his resurrection, ultimately his ascension. And, and they, you know, they, it says in verse 11 that, you know, they thought that he was going to be immediately setting up his kingdom when he went into Jerusalem. Verse 11, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So they all are thinking, his disciples, his followers, those close to him, they're thinking, folks, this is it. You know, it's all coming to a head. You know, Jesus' triumphal entry is going to be the great parade. Our, our king is going to be coronated. So Christ tells them a parable because he wanted them to know that his kingdom wasn't going to be set up then. It was going to be something that was going to be coming in the future. And in the future, they would have, for the future, they would have a responsibility in helping build the kingdom while Jesus was gone, while he went back to heaven. You see, it's not just my privilege to serve God. It's not just my privilege to lay up treasures in heaven. It's my responsibility. And one day I will answer for it. Because when Jesus went away, those of us who know him as his Lord and Savior, we are his servants, we are his stewards, his ambassadors, we are his children. He has given us something to do. He has given us things that we're to do. And one day he's going to come back and say, how'd you do? Or one day when we stand before him, heavens, we say, how'd you do? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed or, or paid for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether it is good or bad. In 1 Corinthians 3, we, we talked about each man's works being tested, what we have done here being put to the test. Well, back to the parable for a second. Verse 13, he goes on. Excuse me, verse 12. It says, so he said, Jesus said, a noble man went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. So again, you know, you, you got to kind of liken who's who in these parables here. Obviously, the king who is about to leave is Jesus, crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven. But he says, one day I'm going to return. And that return has a purpose. And the purpose for Jesus' return is not to just become the Lord of his kingdom, but he is also coming back to settle accounts on how we dispatched his charge, what we did with what he gave us. Verse 13, And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. Ten minas, this would be about a three-month's wage. So, you know, whatever you make in a year, you know, divide that by four. That's, that's about what he gave them, you know, to, to go and invest. You know, go put this to work for me and for my kingdom. You know, do business with this until I come back. Then verse 15. 
He says, when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business that they had done. You know, the, those who, you know, he said, do business until I return. Now he wants to know what they've done. And here's the accountability that we have here. What have I done with what Jesus has given me? What have you done with what Jesus Christ has given you? There's an expectancy on Jesus' part that if I am a child of God, if you are a child of God, that when he comes back, that there's going to be a multiplying and investment in his kingdom, in, 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 in his work. Verse 16 and 17. It says, The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in very little things. You are to be authority over ten cities. Now from this, you know, some people have tried to say, well, what are rewards when we get into heaven? You know, what does that mean? Some people have said here, well, this means that we're going to rule. You know, based on what we have done here, we're going to have a authority and, you know, kingdoms to, to rule. Honestly, I don't know about that. I, I can't give you all the answers about this, but you, you certainly can't get that from this parable that, that we're going to be rulers somewhere, you know. Uh, well, you say, well, he says he gives you authority over ten cities. Again, remember, this is a parable. In other words, he's not talking about something that's real. He's likening something to it, you know, something with that, that, that they would understand. It's a symbol. I don't know exactly what that is going to mean, but I know my God is great, and I know it is going to be great, whatever it is that he is going to give us. You know, it's enough for me to know that Christ will hold us accountable for what he gives us. And one day, he knows. He knows what happened last week. He knows what happens this week to come. He knows what happened 10 years ago. Any act of service, whatever it is, God knows. And he's going to come back, and he's going he's to kind of balance the scales out. Now, verse 18 and 19. He says, the second came, saying, your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, you are to be over five cities. So this servant, unlike the first one who multiplied his one mina into ten, this servant took his one mina and he produced five additional minas with it. His reward, I want you to note here, it wasn't the same as the previous servant. He didn't say, well, I'm going to give you, you know, ten cities. But he was rewarded based on what he did. And so he received five cities. The third one, this is the sad story, verse 20 and 21. He says, another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you were you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you do not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down? and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money into the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystander, take the mina away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. Okay, knowing his responsibility, knowing the expectations that his master had, because the servant you know, clearly stated, I know that this is the type of man you are, this is kind of what you wanted me to do, this servant, knowing who his master was, did nothing 
with what Christ gave him. So if we go back to the 1 Corinthians 3 where it talks about a foundation that Jesus Christ has laid for us and we're responsible to build on that foundation, you know, we have a choice if we're going to use wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. We, we have a choice of what we build on that. I mean, this man has an empty foundation. This man had nothing on his foundation. And, and notice the reaction when he said, you know, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Notice what it says in verse 25. It says, and they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. In other words, our, our sense of justice kicks in and said, wait a minute, he's already got ten. What does he need another one for? You see, we want it to not matter how I live my faith. We want to believe in the end that God is going to just even everything out for everybody. That it doesn't matter if I'm a Christian, as long as I've given my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ, as long as I have done that, that, you know, whether... I serve him, whether I am active in my faith, whether I have my devotions, whether I have times of worship and praise, and, or I tell other people about Jesus Christ, you know, that's all fine, but it, it doesn't really matter. In the end, we're all going to get to heaven, and God's just going to, you know, wipe the slates clean. I mean, if I'm lazy, if I'm focused on my own life, if I'm self-absorbed, if I'm really uncaring and unserving of the kingdom of God, somehow we want to that it's not going to matter in the end once we, we get to eternity. Well, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Catch this part. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. So as a Christian, when I get saved, I'm told I'm supposed to work out my salvation. It means figure it out. You know, you don't work for your salvation. You're saved now. You know, you're kind of, that's the starting line. That's not the finish line. That's the starting line. Figure this out. You know, that's why we read God's words. That's why we, we study God's word. We meditate on it. That's why we have ABFs and, and Bible studies. And we encourage you to have your devotions. This is all part of working out what God says, what it means to be a child of God. And as we're working that out, he says, for God is at work in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. God's will in your life, God's good pleasure, as you work that out, is going to be accomplished. Now, again, this is not talking about working for our salvation. Not at all here. Um, matter of fact, in verse 26 of our, of our parable, <coughs> excuse me, he says, I, he says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But the one, from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. All right? And then it says in verse 27, But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. He's not talking about his servants there. He's not talking about those who didn't produce anything, bring them here and slay them in my presence. He's talking about back in verse 14. He says, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. He says, those who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them before me and slay them. They're not his servants, but those who are not believers in Christ. So let's, let's talk about two common misbeliefs about stewardship among Christians, kind of summarize what we've been saying here all along. Number one, some think that even though God gave us our gifts and our talents, they all come from him, that he's not bothered if we don't make the most of every opportunity that we're given. 
you know, that it doesn't matter to God if we don't make the most of our opportunities. That those things that God has given me, that those things are my options. I can use them for God, or I don't have to use them for God. But the truth of the first steward shows us that God expects us to take the resources of our life that he has given us, everything he has given us, and greatly multiply them for his kingdom. Second thing, we think that if God does reward us for serving him, that it's going to be some sort of a general commendation that you know, everybody will get equally, and it won't change our future opportunities in the kingdom. But the truth of the second steward is that God will reward our work for him. And he will reward us in direct proportion to how much we have multiplied our lives for him. One multiplied at 10, the other multiplied at 5, and their reward was different. It wasn't that, oh, they both served God so that they just, you know, everybody got the same. It made a difference what they did with their life. So I want to I wanna answer a question for you. With, with all of this information I've given you, with this parable that we've talked about here, I want to answer the question of so what? If you're a Christian today, so what? What does, what does all of this mean to you? Well, let me give you three points. Number one, if you are a Christian, if you are genuinely saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been saved for a purpose. I mean, think about that. God wanted you. God wanted you as his child. He wanted you in his kingdom. So he's got a purpose for you. Out of all the people in this world, I mean, it says, you know, broad is the way, broad is the, the gate that leads, you know, to hell, but narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. And, and if you're genuinely saved, you came through that narrow gate. I mean, you're one of the few that God has, has, has brought into his kingdom. And so he wants you. He chose you, you know, to, to be part of his kingdom. And, and, you know, the purpose you have been saved isn't for fire insurance, you know, we think, oh, Jesus saved me, so, you know, I, I would go to heaven and avoid hell. That isn't why he saved you. That's a byproduct of salvation. Not being punished for my sins, going to heaven. That's a byproduct. It's not the only purpose that Jesus saved us. We have been called to a kingdom. We have been called to serve. We have been called to reach others for Jesus Christ. I mean, a verse that we quote so often and. And, you know, even the unsaved people know John 3.16. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Folks, that verse wasn't the end of the message that Jesus was preaching. Matter of fact, that was, was kind of the beginning of his message. The conclusion is in verse 20 and 21, where he says, For everyone who does not does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. God has saved us so that our deeds might be manifested as being wrought in him. In other words, they have, they have, they have come from him. He's, he's the source. He's, he's the focus of my service and my work. So that's the first thing. We have been saved for a purpose. Second thing, if you have been saved, then you have been given a gift. God has given you a gift. 
These gifts, we might say, are the minas, you know, in our life that he gives us. We receive them at salvation. You know, we develop them, we, we, we discern what those gifts are, but every single Christian, at the moment he gets saved, has been given a gift or some gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, But to each one of us grace has, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. I mean, we've talked about it before. It's that picture, that beautiful, you know, uh, parade of a victorious king who is coming back from defeating the enemy. And he's parading through the city, and the, the cities are lined up, and everybody's cheering him, and he, he gets on his throne, and, 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 and suddenly he begins to hand out the, the spoils of that great victory to his generals and, and, and to, to the, the, the warriors. And then just to his own people, he gives gifts. And that's the picture here, that when Christ went on high, when he defeated death, when he defeated the grave, when that victory became ours, he gave us the spoils of Calvary. He gave us spiritual gifts. You know, things like mercy. He's given us a gift. This is a supernatural gift that he has given us. You know, some ability to teach. Some he has given the gift of evangelism and giving or helps or service or discernment. You know, pastor, teacher. These are gifts that he has given us. Something very special that he has given you to serve the body of Christ. You know, you're, we're supposed to discern, find out what it is, what they are in our lives, and then we're supposed to develop them and begin to use them for his kingdom. That's our minas. You know, that he gives us that one mina that we can make into ten, we can make it into five, or we can just let sit there. And one day just give it back to Jesus. Say, there it is. That's what you died for, and I'm just giving it back to you. So he's been giving us gifts, but also within your DNA, God has given each and every one of us talents. Those talents are, you know, propensities towards things like music or art or building or leadership or organizational skills or cooking or writing. You know, we all have talents. We all have bents in our life that, you know, we just love doing these things. And he has given us those talents to serve him as well and to use for his kingdom. All these things we have been given, gifts, spiritual gifts, talents, you know, things in our DNA, they're all tools that God left us to serve him, to do something for him. These are my tools for laying up treasures. These are your tools for serving God. That's why I have them. That's why you have them. They are the minas upon which upon Christ's return, he's going to ask you, what did you do with it? What did you do with the spoils of Calvary that I gave to your life? What did you do with that gift of teaching that I gave you? What did you do with that, that, that talent of music? What did you do with that ability to cook or the, the, the leadership that I instilled into your DNA? What did you do with those things that I gave you? You see, God gave me these gifts and talents, and he also gave me a choice. He gave you a choice of what you're going to do with them. Each one of his, his servants in this, this parable were given a choice to multiply it, to invest, or to do nothing with it at all. So you have been saved for a purpose. If you're a Christian, you have been given gifts, and you have been given talents.
And number three, we were never intended to be a one-man band. We are all different. My gifts, my talents are different than your gifts and your talents. But the beauty of the church, the beauty of the bride of Jesus Christ is that we come together as a body of Christ. Some of us are ears or hands or feet or the mouth. And we build and we serve the Lord together. In other words, doing things together that maybe we couldn't do separately as we use our gifts and we use our talents. Our challenge before us today as we start this new year is will you recommit yourself to that call that Christ has given to every single believer? He has not, and I, and I say he has not put this on hold during the corona season here. I am still accountable for my gifts. I am still accountable for my talents. It might be unique. It might be different than it was six months ago for a while. But I'm still accountable to Christ for these things. And there is no class system here. Well, some, some serve and use their gifts, and others, they don't. We are all in this together. We have all been called together and given these gifts and talents for the good of the body of Christ, it says. In the wear and tear of the world, it's easy to forget this. You know, with age and with time and things passing, it's easy for Satan to wear, wear, wear at our awareness, wear, wear at our awareness, you know, for us to forget why we've been saved, saved to serve, to serve our Savior. And this church, it lives and exists to serve Christ, not the other way around. We talked a few weeks ago, you know, that, that this, this church is never intended to be a cruise ship for you. You know, where you just are, are supposed to sit and soak and, you know, call your waiter up and can you get me something else, you know, another Mai Tai and, and, and just sit and, and enjoy the view. You know, where we get up and we go to the Lido deck and we have this beautiful buffet, spiritual buffet put before us and, and we just come and we get to pick from the buffet kind of what we want, what we feel like that day. It has never been intended to be a cruise ship. It has been intended to be a battleship where all hands are on deck, serving the Lord together, serious about the purpose of which we have been called, using our gifts, using our, our talents. We, we live and exist to serve Christ. Christ doesn't live and exist to serve us. He does. But we are here for him. And as we serve, there's a great things that happen. As I use my gifts, as I use my talents, I find that each and every time that I do that and my motives are right, I find that Christ meets me there. And I am ministered to, even though I might be the one pouring out that Christ pours within me. And as we are all doing this, it builds and it builds and it builds. That's the call. That is why we have been saved. We have been saved for a purpose. We have been given gifts and talents. And we have never been intended to do it by ourselves. He has given us a body of Christ to do it within. Now, we've been talking about rewards, but today we're focusing on responsibilities. Responsibilities that one day will be rewarded in heaven. And uh, I'm going to call, I'm going to ask my worship team if they'd come forward right now. I'm talking for just a little minute here because we're going to have a, a time of quietness. We're going to have a time of reflection and silent prayer here. I want to ask you, if you will recommit today to use what Christ has given you for his kingdom. Will you recommit today? I mean, to, I mean, 
you know, I have to daily take up my cross to follow him. So it's not a far stretch to think that, you know, if we're not thinking about this constantly, that, you know, maybe we've gotten a little bit off course with our lives, with our focus, with our priorities. We're going to have a quietness in just a moment here. I'm just going to have uh, Ashley can play quietly in the background. I just want you to pray. I want you to speak to God personally. Talk about your life. You know, make whatever commitments, decisions you need to make before him, and then I'll lead us in prayer together. All right, let's, let's pray. Let's take a moment. Father God, I so thank you for just the challenge from your word, Lord. I thank you that you send your word constantly to remind us who we are to you and this great ministry that you have called us to, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, as though you were making your appeal through us. And Father, I, I, I pray as each and every one of us have laid our lives before you, opened up our hearts to you, that you would show us, Lord, you know, those areas that, that you want us to use our gifts and our talents in. Father, even if it's, you know, to start with a recommitment to you, Lord, that, that it will start here, right here today. Father, wh whether you tarry into another year, another century, whatever it might be, we want to be found at attention, at our posts, Lord, serving you, Father, faithfully. Thank you. In thy son's name we pray. Amen.